Holly and I. Wow. I... <laughs> One more time. Hello and welcome to Funny Books with Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. <laughs> this is Peaches. Hey, it's Peaches. <laughs> Somebody had to be. You know, the I, sad I thing is that actually was a nickname that people used for me at one point. What? <laughs> no. 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 Okay, we, so this was uh-huh. this was my own fault. Well, not not at one point. <laughs> Please don't explain. Like no, I'm, this, I'm just this doing was it my own better. fault. It was back in high school and it was uh I want to say it was from an episode of like Tiny Toons Adventures. There was a uh, the devil had shown up and he gives this whole speech about how he's the great and powerful uh, Beelzebub ruler of darkness all of that but you can just call me peaches and for some reason that skit got stuck in my head and i said that one day and a couple people heard it and so it became peaches for the next year well it's it's funny that you mentioned that one <laughs> because i work with a fella who is gigantic he is like six and a half feet tall Great big broad chested, gigantic hands. I mean, he's just this this huge man. Nice as he can be. And he and I he and I work on projects together all the time. And we were having our weekly meeting yesterday and uh, I said, Hey, uh, you know, you and I have been working together for a good long while now, and I and I feel like our relationship has come to a place where I feel like I need to have a nickname for you, a term of endearment, if you will. And he's like, Okay, because he's got this great big deep voice. Okay, what is it? I said, well, I'm thinking peaches. And it goes absolutely silent. (laughs) I don't think I want to be called peaches. (laughs) I said, no, I'm I'm, I'm I'm thinking peaches. No, Aaron, find another name. (laughs) That's how we left it. He didn't want to be called peaches. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know. Wayne seems to like it. I know, right? But and so it's sticking. No, no, nobody likes it. I don't know. Yeah, no. I, 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 a show of hands. <laughs> I'm, raising, I'm raising my hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, my ex used to be called Peaches for different reasons. Wayne, just putting that out there. So you and my ex have something in common. And my coworker, <laughs> <laughs> who sounds surprisingly like George Takei, just putting that out there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> For uh, different uh, reasons, uh, uh, oh are highly. There, need, there oh. needs to be a podcast where you can tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Oh my! Oh my! Well, you know, I, I need to put you guys on notice. You know, I typically I'm all alone here in the man cave recording with you guys, but uh, the wife is out of the house today, so I've got to have the door open so I can keep an eye on the dogs because, you know, they are notoriously sketchy, right? (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) just like their owner. That's right. They're they, they're up to no good most of the time. So you know, uh, Walter and Trudy are both in here with me. So you you may hear some dog action going on in here. Yeah. Well, uh, all the best podcasts have to stop to yell at dogs. That's okay. right. Yeah. You can just start yelling Shecky at some point. Well, that that would not qualify as one of the best podcasts. Um, <laughs> uh, I will add that, you know, the, the wife's not here, so there is an extra pour of bourbon in my coffee this morning. So, uh, yeah. There's We're also bourbon-fueled. <laughs> a midget stripper named Sparkles, <laughs> who <laughs> may or may not be dancing the entire time we podcast. 
That's right. And a dead hooker under the bed. So, you know, it's it's a good morning here. It's, it's been a full day so far. Yeah. Wife's only been gone for a half an hour. Aaron, you didn't kill Paul's mom, did you? Oh, my God. Oh, Paul's mom jokes. <laughs> oh, Wayne. Oh, you scamp. <laughs> Peaches. Well, you know, it could be Paul versus Wayne or DC superheroes versus Looney Tunes. Yeah. Which shall we go with? I think we should go with neither because um, putting this out there. So DC Comics announced this week at Comics Pro, which is like the um, the retailer convention where you know they show off where um, comic companies kind of show off what's coming up. So that's why you know they had the Secret Empire thing, and we've gotten some teasers. And DC announced that they are doing um, some specials, uh, some comic book specials. That will feature DC superheroes and reimagined Looney Tunes characters kind of crossing over. So the the, the titles they announced were Jonah Hex versus Yosemite Sam. Oh, Jesus. Lobo versus the Roadrunner. <laughs> um, Martian Manhunter versus Marvin the Martian. Yep. And Batman versus um, Yosemite Sam. Elmer, oh, Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd. You're right. And so I hear this and I think this is horrible. And then I look at the artwork on it and see the reimagined version. And I think you guys liked the reimagined Hanna-Barbera. Oh, are they reimagining the, the Warner characters? They are. Yeah, the artwork is more, it's not quite as, uh, I don't want to say it's not as cartoonish, but they're all reimagined for this. Hmm. So I'm still going with this is a horrible idea and shouldn't happen. But I have this fear in the back of my head that you guys are going to like this. No, no. You know, well, you know, if if you had a Booster Gold versus Foghorn Leghorn, I would be down for it. Oh, my God. That's who that is. So in the Jonah Hex uh, versus uh, Yosemite Sam picture, there's uh, another character. And I'm like, who is that? It just occurred to me that's Foghorn Leghorn. I, I say son, son, I say son. <laughs> I loves me some Foghorn Leghorn. I mean, the reimagined characters, they just look horrible. Uh, I, 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 I'm not entirely sure who thought this was a good idea. And now here's the thing. I will say somebody on crack. Yeah. Somebody on crack thought this was a great idea. I actually probably would have enjoyed. I, I think I would have been more excited had it not been reimagined characters. Wow. Foghorn with a bandolier and a, two pistols. Yes. I didn't realize that's who that was supposed to be either. <laughs> See, he the, the Foghorn Leghorn's a, a Kentucky colonel. He shouldn't have a bandolier. He, they should they should not have done him that way because, you know, yeah, he, he's not a south of the border guy. He is a. Uh, He's a Kentucky Colonel. They, thank you, it's Aaron, like they, for keeping it historically accurate. They do not know their properties. God damn it! Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just. I can't even talk about this anymore. <laughs> this has fucked up my existence. <laughs> I, I question everything. <laughs> well, that's what we do on this podcast. We cause you to question things. You know, looking at these. Some of them, and none of them make sense. I'll start with that. But some of them make more sense than others. Like Jonah Hex and Yosemite Sam. I see why if you're going to pick characters, you would pick that. Marvin the Martian versus, <laughs> you know, Martian Manhunter. Okay. You got a twisted mind. I see where you're going. Why Elver Fudd at Batman? Because of the gun thing. <laughs> but, I would... You know, 
they should they should have gone with uh, you know Batman versus Darkwing Duck. Well, that's Disney. Oh, that oh is it? A, that is yeah. Disney. I'm sorry, I thought that was da- that was. Uh, <laughs> Look at us debating. Uh, well, you know, Batman. I would I would buy Batman and uh, Darkwing Duck crossover. We have had a lot of stupid conversations on this podcast. <laughs> I would like to, I would like to point back to Justice League Power Rangers as the most recent example. Yeah, that's but this. This Tim, is by let, far the dumbest thing we've ever talked about. Let me remind oh, no. you, Tim, that the Ninja Turtles crossover with Batman was actually good. I, uh, <laughs> this won't be, but Darkwing could be. Uh, it's it's the crossover you deserve, can we, Tim. Uh, can we get the can we get the Adam and the and the Rescue Rangers too? Can we do that? That I, sounds great. Oh, that would be awesome. Get, I'd buy can that. Can we get Alvin and the Chipmunks with the Justice League? What are they doing? Nah, I don't want that. Oh my! Alvin God. and the Chipmunks need to cross over with uh, Josie and the Pussycats with Archie. I I want I want a murder. I, I, <laughs> I wow! This oh no! I got the crossover for you. It's uh, Elmer Fudd from What's Opera, Doc, with Thor, because he's calling the lightning. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> Tim's yeah, like, no, you've got – I'm <laughs> down for that. Paul, you put this on the goddamn mountain. I man. did. I did. You know, I did I did not know the Pandora's box that I was opening. You know, Elmer Fudd calls the lightning, so he might be worthy even though Odin's son isn't worthy. He's tr- I'm going to murder Wayne. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to murder the Bugs fuck out of you. Bugs Bunny is worthy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, what but, have I done? But you have to admit, I mean, Bugs Bunny can pull off a, a, an awesome Lady Thor because when Bugs Bunny is in drag, super hot. Just saying. Super hot. Uh, Aaron. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's, this, is a, this is a new low point for this podcast. <laughs> Two weeks ago, discussing politics. This week... <laughs> Bugs Bunny and drag. So Matt Reeves is no longer directing Batman. I'll wow. Just, I'll just take control of this damn podcast right the fuck now. <laughs> Paul discussed. Yeah. So, you know, last week we were talking about how it seemed like Matt Reeves was going to. Matt Reeves, the director of the upcoming War for the Planet of the Apes and Cloverfield and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes would be taking over um, directing chores for Batman, uh, the Batman, after um, Ben Affleck stepped down. Well, it seems like the negotiations have fallen through and Matt Reeves is no longer directing the Batman. Um, now, Warner has apparently already ha- already has two people in the back burner that they want to pull in. So it's not a, a, much of a crisis. Um, the other two are Ridley Scott and Fede Alvarez. Um, both of whom are very competent, uh, well, actually both really good directors. So, um, I, I think we'll have another announcement soon, but Matt Reeves was never signed up to do it, but it seems like whatever happened, negotiations fell through. So Batman still without a director. I mean, yeah, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's sad for Ben Affleck, you know? Well, also he, Jennifer he, Garner he filed for divorce this week. So Ben Affleck's having no! a bad week. Oh, <laughs> no. Ouch. Yeah. That will just give him more angst to put into the role of Batman. He's gonna, and 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 Batman's gonna. It kill will some fuel bitches. his war on crime, Paul. <laughs> ah, poor Ben. I feel bad for him. I do. I do. You don't. Well, I mean, you know, why why do bad things happen to good people, Paul? I mean, you know, why can't Ben Affleck catch a break? 
I don't know. Why? Well, because Why? it's Batman. Well, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. Bad things happened as soon as he accepted the role of Batman. That's true. You know, it's tragic. You know, it's, it's opera is what it is. Exactly. You know, it's just it just breaks your heart. I, I, I don't know where to go with this conversation. <laughs> we are at an impasse, so we're just going to talk about some comics. Well, I mean, we're talking about Batman. So, you know, this week from DC Comics, Batwoman Rebirth, number one, came out this week. You know, this is kind of their zero issues um, that they've been doing. So this is not the official number one. This is, uh, you know, the, the Rebirth number one. Um, launching the new Batwoman series. We had talked a couple of weeks about Batwoman Begins, which I think was a two-parter in the pages of Detective Comics. Um, so now this is the series proper starting, um, you know, f- with the same uh, writer, I think it's Detective Comics. Well, uh, James Tinian IV, who is co-writing with Marguerite Bennett, Steve Epting, um, the excellent Steve Epting, is on art in this book. So, Aaron... What did you think of Batwoman Rebirth? First off, I'm a huge Steve Epting fan. I just I love his artwork so much. What was and, that book he uh, did for um, with Brubaker? Where he did was... Captain he did Captain America with with Brubaker to start with, mm-hmm. and then uh, was it Fatal? I think no, it's Fatal. It was something uh, Velvet. It was Velvet. Yes, Velvet. Sorry. And you're absolutely right. It's Velvet. And Velvet is one of my favorite books. I, I freaking love Velvet, um, you know, which is, tells the story of, a, of essentially a lady, James Bond. She's a, she's a lady spy. She gets she is, uh, you know, demonized by the spy agency that she works for, uh, starts off deep undercover. I mean, just fantastic book. Highly recommend Velvet from Image Comics. Um and, you know, he seems to be very at home drawing these sort of street level characters, street level heroes. I, I love how much texture is on the page, how much detail is on the page. Um, it does feel very much uh, who is it that that drew the the book with Rucka when uh, Batwoman first come out? It was. Uh, um, oh, I was it was it was it Williams? Was it uh, yeah, Freddie? No, it wasn't Freddie Williams. It was. um. I you know what I I I don't remember. Uh, keep talking now, and I'll look it up yeah. while you talk. But the the essentially the, the particularly the first page is very much an homage to the way uh, Rucka and his artist, who Paul's going to tell me who that was in just a moment, J. H. Williams. There you go, J. H. Williams the third. I was thinking Williams the third was in my head. So uh, very much an homage to the way Williams drew that book because each it what. It really was a horrible book to read uh, uh, digitally because the pages were laid out in such a graphic fashion and, and sort of like puzzle pieces, etc. And it just a, a visually beautiful story. I've got all of that in hardcover and they're just gorgeous to look at um, and very much an homage in the, the first page of this, the way those pieces come together in those different uh, uh, panels. I I like that this book honors the Rucka stories that came before Mm -hmm. and puts her on a fresh path. Uh, I I dug this book. I thought this book was a great read. And I think it's one of the stronger uh, rebirth, essentially zero issues, even though they're called number ones. Uh, I I, I really dug it. I thought this was a great book. Paul, tell me what you thought. I felt the same way. Um, You know, I thought it was a a, a beautiful art from Steve Epting. Absolutely beautiful. Um, And, you know, this is essentially a preview book. You know, it, it, it kind of gives you... A, you know, familiarity with her character, which I will say, a, a, the first half of the book felt a little repetitious to me, even though 
most some of it was new stuff. I felt like I'd seen a lot of those scenes before, but I have to remember that I mean at this point Batwoman's been around a while. Right. And you know that origin th- those origin tales about her mother and all that stuff that I read that we read um you know people coming into rebirth may not know those stories. So it feels more recent to me, but I, I have to remember for myself that it really wasn't all that recent. So getting a little rep- bit of repetition or a reminder probably wasn't a bad thing. Um but I you know I enjoyed the peek at the future that they show. Um, you know, they show coming soon in the pages of Batwoman. It's almost Jeff Johnsian in that, you know, you have here's a little bit of the past and here's what's coming to get you to read the book. Uh, it, it was exactly what a rebirth issue should be. Um, you know, a, 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 a teaser for what's coming. Um, and, you know, here's how we got here. And so I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I enjoyed that it seems to be setting up a lot of stories that are coming up in the book. Um, and I, I, I certainly thought I, I'm, I'm certainly on board for Batwoman number one. I don't know off the top of my head who the creative team of that book is going to be. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's still going to be um, Tinian the Fourth and uh, Marguerite Bennett uh, co-writing the book, but I'm not. I, I'm pretty sure Steve Epting is not going to be the regular artist. I would be very surprised. Yeah, but so, wouldn't that be great? It would be. Question for both yeah. of you: Yes, if somebody had never read a Batwoman comic, is this it's a, a good jumping on? Yeah. It is. It's a really good jumping on point. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, in the short time that Batwoman's been with us. Um, there's a lot of backstory there. A lot of stuff that happened with her in 52. Uh, a lot of stuff that happened to her in her uh, regular series. And this is a good it, it, while still honoring everything that went on before. It tells you exactly what you need to know to okay. get you where you need. And I, I do and want I, to clarify. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Aaron. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I generally don't like those glimpses of what's going to happen in the future. Um, but I really liked the glimpse we got. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was like, Oh, that looks so cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So, uh, nicely done all the way around. And, uh, I do want to clarify that I was incorrect. Steve Epting is the regular artist on the book. Um, Oh, that's hot. It's not a biweekly book. It's a monthly book, but you know, Steve Epting, I mean, he drew captain America for years. He can keep up with a monthly schedule. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he's, he he draws beautifully. Yeah, and so based on this book, I mean, he here's the thing. Steve Epting, if you've read those Captain America books, or to a certain extent, Fatal, you know, he, he, he is an excellent artist, but he didn't bring some of the visual flair that J.H. Williams III did. So seeing right. that homage in this book, um, you know, I, I think... It, 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 you you have a good combination of what we're used to with Steve Epting, which is more espionage stories, and the J.H. Williams the third that you know that Batwoman has been associated with. Yep. So totally on board. Yeah, ditto, ditto. But you know what I hated this week, Aaron? <laughs> I know where this is going, Paul. I hated the shit out of Superman number seventeen. Yeah, I I, I did too. I, I it really felt like a waste of my time. It felt like it was supposed to be a Halloween issue only in the winter. You know, for me, it was a super bad Superman book. It was like badness had traveled to Earth from the dying planet Krypton and was imbued with the power of, of 10 ordinary bads under our yellow sun. <laughs> it was super bad. It, it totally was. It was absolutely a terrible issue. And you know what's sad is, Written by Pete Tomasi and Pat Gleason, art by Sebastian Fiumara, who I'm not familiar mm-hmm. with. Um, it, it's you know it's it's basically a one-off tale of um, 
Jonathan Kent and his friend Kathy looking for her missing father and cow. And it turns into like this weird trip through the the swamp because they're they're hallucinating by from the swamp gases this book is just terrible and it totally feels like yeah. filler <laughs> because that's how hallucinations work too two yeah. people yeah, she... hallucinate the exact same thing <laughs> that's right yeah yeah it was it was a terrible book and you know there was one moment while i was reading the book i was like oh he's dreaming he's he's still on his couch watching a horror movie right i thought the is, same is it, yeah, and then you know, it I was turns hoping out, that. Yeah, I think that would have been a better book. Right? No, I would have uh, been just as pissed because then I would have been like, "This entire fucking book was a dream. Give me a break." <laughs> well, I, 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 I would have had a, had an easier time with it than what we got. But there is this moment, you know, where they encounter some entity in the swamp, who is a giant, and at one point he looks like an alien. But I swear to God, there was a part a part where he looked like the damn Iron Giant. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and I was like. Is, is And that's when I was like, oh, he's dreaming. He's watching the Iron Giant on TV, and that's what he's dreaming. You know, because there is that kind of initial sort of intense scene at the beginning of the film with the Iron Giant. Yeah. So I, and that's I thought maybe that's that's where I was going. But no, 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 it was a very bad book. And and I, <laughs> I am sort of amused that, uh, you know, Superman, you know, Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Jonathan Kent have some sort of alien haunted swamp right off their property. Yeah. Yeah. That just, that just seems like, uh, you know, maybe that was why they were able to buy that place. So, so inexpensively, you know, here's the thing. The cover is beautiful. The variant cover I found beautiful also, Uh but everything beneath these pages was absolute garbage. Um, it, it felt, it, it read like exactly what it is, which is, it is a one issue filler story to get the books, to get the timing aligned for Superman reborn, the crossover that's starting in two weeks. Uh, well, and, and and I did feel like it was – I was kind of excited because I thought that it was going to be well-timed for the first issue of Super Sons. And you know, to, to spend a full issue with Jonathan in the, in the Superman book to you know maybe tease somebody to go over and read Super Sons. But there's nothing about this issue that would make you want to go over and buy Super Sons. No. Yeah, nothing at all. You yeah. know, and what – they had a swamp. If they wanted to do like a, a special horror issue – have a meat swamp thing. That would have been a better I was, story. You know, here's the thing. I thought that's where it was going. <laughs> I really did, and it didn't. Um, well, and you know, they just had a, you know, we'll talk. Well, we'll talk about it in Trinity, but you know, they just had an encounter with the green. You know, yeah. so it's a. Anyway, it was not a good book. We could talk about this all day, but it was not a good book. And it was disappointing because uh, with the exception of half of that Frankenstein story, the Superman title has been really strong. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, um, you know, you mentioned Super Sons, which also came out this week. The, the You know, we've been looking very forward to this title. It is co-written um, by Pete Tomasi. Oh, no, it's just written by Pete Tomasi, excuse me, um, with art by Jorge Jimenez. Um, you know, this is the, the ongoing series featuring uh, team-up between Jonathan Kent and Damian Wayne. Um, you know, two characters that we have grown to love. Well, everyone except Wayne. Wayne still hates Damian Wayne. Um, but the rest of us love both of these characters. So, Tim, what did you think of Super Sons number one? Oh, I thought it was excellent book. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, the the thing you got from this book that you got a little bit from the crossover was the the differences between the two, and I think that's going to be something that's going to be key throughout the throughout the book. You get a lot of a lot of characterization 
about how how Jonathan, uh, you know, he, he's a normal kid as, as much as he can be. And how Damian Wayne is so not normal. <laughs> like that's 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 the that's a thread you get through this book. No, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh I, I wasn't sure I wasn't sure about the art. Um but by but about by about halfway through the book I'm like, okay, I think this works. I, I think this works more than it did when I first opened the book and went, I don't I, I don't know. I had I had the same issues with the art, Tim. I you yeah. know, in the first two pages I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. But I warmed up to it. Okay. I never warmed up to it. I don't like the art. That doesn't surprise me because it seems very Umberto Ramos to me. So it wouldn't surprise me. In particular, it it seemed much more so, particularly on that first page, not the first page of the book, but the first page that you see Jonathan and Damien and they're running away. And it just seems so hyper-stylized. But when you get into uh, uh, the Batcave, for instance, you know, with with uh, with Damien and Bruce and Alfred, all of that works for me. And it's from that point on that, you know, then you wind up back at uh, the Kent's house in Hamilton and they're all the the family sitting around the the table playing cards. All of that worked for me. It's from that point that the book visually synced with me. But yeah, I can see why Wayne wouldn't like it. It is rather Umberto Ramosy. Yep, I will say the art in the Batcave did look better than the rest of the book. Yeah, and I, I got to say, the last page I thought was beautiful. Oh, yes. the last page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, story-wise, what did you guys think, Karen? I I rather enjoyed the uh, the scenes with Jonathan. Um, I, I really got a kick out of seeing him on the school bus, you know, really adopting sort of his, his father's role, you know, standing up for, for the oppressed. And so, you know, one of his little friends is getting picked on by bullies and he stands up and draws their attention so that they pick on him. And then later there's a snowball fight and I'm sorry, um, if you're putting a, a, a fist sized stone inside a snowball and throwing it, that's attempted murder. That's not just bullying somebody. <laughs> I, I, I had a real problem with that, that these kids aren't just bullies. They're psychopaths. I mean, that was a headshot. You know, you throw a rock at somebody's head. That's called stoning. And it's the way people were put to death many years ago and still today in some parts of the world. So I'm sorry. I, 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 I was I was really okay with Jonathan's uh, initial desire to just heat vision them to death because uh, I was all over that. I would have been fine. See, I was going to start by saying what story because there really <laughs> isn't – there's a lot of really good moments and I like the moments. My issue is with how the story is being told. I don't have a problem with starting off you know, foreshadowing what's going to happen. But I want to see that get to that point in that book. You know, when they're being uh, they're being chased by the robots of themselves. Yeah, see, I don't have I that like, issue. You know, I mean, I yeah, for I mean, me, I, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm okay with it being within the same storyline. You know, if it was, mm-hmm. if I had to wait three years for us to get to that point, then I'd be pissed. But if it's within the next five, six issues, I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that too. I, you know, I. I don't need to see another superhero fight. I really enjoy the characters talking to one another and the differences between the two of them. I get a kick out of of the contrast between Damien and John. I would have preferred they leave that whole scene out, and I think it would have been a better book for it. Yeah, I don't 
don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess I just didn't have an issue with it. I mean, I saw it as foreshadowing yeah. of how the story's going to wrap up. Um, you know, Aaron mentioned something about Dame, uh, excuse me, Jonathan's original, original intent with the the bullies was to laser them. He's like, I'll show them pain. I like, you know, that they're kind of toying with, you know, Superboy having that dark side to him. I'm, sh- you know, Pete Tomasi is the type of guy who's not going to let that go away. Like they're they're building right. to something. No, so, I agree. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, particularly children have that, you know, they have that challenge of differentiating right and wrong between what they want right now. Right. And I think that's a, that's an accurate way to depict what a nine year old boy. You know, what is he? Nine, ten years old. Um, I, I, I think that's purely accurate when you think that that you have this hyper powered child who could who could literally do just about whatever he wants if his father wasn't around. Um, I, I think those are those are great story beats as he struggles with that. You know, I do yeah. wonder how old Superboy is supposed to be now because they they have confirmed that Damian Wayne is thirteen, right? Because now he's part of the Teen Titans. Yep, and Damian is older than him. They confirmed that in this book. Okay, so I, I mean, I don't know that they've ever said that Superboy is nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I don't know, but um, you know, he is less than thirteen. We know yeah, that he is less than thirteen. <laughs> Yeah, so I have to say I really enjoyed some of the some of the moments like uh, it was either Aaron or Tim were talking about where they'll be having a conversation and uh, you know Damien will just say something that is you know to Jonathan it's so out there that he just assumes it's a joke but it's not some like the comment like the whole conversation about you know I could have been could have had a doctorate well why don't you because my mom killed my teacher and dumped him in the ocean. <laughs> like, that wasn't the joke but yeah. jonathan can't imagine that not being a joke because he just doesn't have that world view and i really like that difference between the characters yeah i do too i like i said i i enjoy the the, the contrast between those two uh, points of view yeah. so i'm definitely looking forward to issue two i will definitely pick it up i would agree with that yep see i'm right now i'm more mediocre on the book i'm not as happy with it as you guys are but I'm going to finish out this storyline before I decide if I'm going to keep going with the book or not. Well, and that's how I felt about Trinity, right? You know, like Trinity for me hasn't, you know, I enjoyed the way it started, but for me, it's been a little uneven and I, I haven't loved it. And I got to say issue six is my last issue of Trinity. <sighs> I, I just didn't care for the way the storyline wrapped up. Um, I disagree. Really? I disagree with you. Yeah. I, I thought, the, the this first story arc was too long. I think it was a, a, probably yes. a an issue and perhaps an issue and a half too long. That's a fair but, statement, I think. But I will say, I felt like I enjoyed the concept of the White Mercy. Um, I enjoyed, um, you know, the there were there were elements. I, I loved the re, reuniting uh, Superman with his father. You know, um, I enjoyed parts of the storyline of, of Batman reexamining his childhood. I really thought they, they did not stick the landing with Wonder Woman's uh, walk down memory lane. I didn't feel like that worked well. But all in all, I enjoyed this this issue and I thought it made the other issues worthwhile, um, despite the, the length. I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought this was worthwhile. I, I like the I, I like seeing Poison Ivy. In this in this uh, conversation, I particularly enjoyed uh, just that brief moment where Superman's son has to fight, you know, his father possessed by Mongol. I, 
I thought that was pretty cool. I'll let you just blast him out of the barn. I, and again, I think the concept of the white mercy is brilliant. And I hope we get to see more of that. I will. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the way they used poison ivy because yeah. at first I thought that it was a little bit ridiculous that it was a poison ivy and I thought it was Starro, but it ended up being Mongol. It yeah. didn't really work, but by the end of it, you understood that she, you know she was being deceived. And the and the the part where she got to say goodbye, basically, to the the white yeah. mercy, that was a pretty that was a pretty nice scene. Yeah. So no, I I enjoyed it. I did too, and I I I also enjoyed the book ending of. You know, there was the rather tense moments when the book started in issue one between, you know, the 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 new Superman in the new 52 and the new 52 Batman and Wonder Woman, you know, because they don't have the history that they had in the pre Flashpoint universe. So you you have the, the contrast between those guys being very awkward together at the beginning of the book and how they're very comfortable together at the end of the book. I, I thought this did what it set out to do. It was just a little too long. I agree. I, I, yeah. I will say that I, I, I thought that there were parts in the, in, in the storyline where Batman was a little more hot headed than he is in any of his other books. Well, and Wonder Woman comments on that, right? Yeah. You know, she, she, she says, you're, you're being too emotional. This isn't like you, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. So. And hopefully it was, it, hopefully they're, they were setting it up because of the fact that he had that scene with his parents, but, and, and, you know, it was funny because, you know, this week we had, you know, Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman sitting around a table and I, I shouldn't, you know, they were in their, their, uh, you know, mortal identities, their secret identities, I guess, um, you know, sitting around a table, drinking coffee and, you know, talking at the end, at the end of the day. And then you also had that great page. I think it's in super sons where Bruce and Clark are sitting in the back of the pickup truck, drinking coffee and you've got Clark in a ball cap and a flannel shirt, right? And you've got Bruce in his, you know, Brooks Brothers, <laughs> Brooks Brothers overcoat and you know slicked back GQ style hair. I like the contrast. I'm saying this a lot this week: contrast, dichotomy. I like the differences between these characters, and I, and I love seeing them together in, in the way we're seeing them now. So basically, you Paul, you're wrong. It sounds like it. it sounds like I mean, you guys disagree. I'm with in. I'm in for the next issue of Trinity, and I see that that is called Trinity of Evil. So does that mean that we're going to get to see, you know, uh, each one of the Trinity's bad guys uh, joining up? I hope I don't so. Know. We'll yeah, see. I hope so, too. So, too. So I'm in. Well, you'll have to let me know. You will have to let me know. Mm. Fine, Paul. Fine. <laughs> Bye. Well, this week, Aaron and I tried out the Wild Storm number one. Um, so this is DC's new relaunch of the Wildstorm universe started by guys like Jim Lee and Wills Portacio um, back in the 90s um, when, the, uh, you know, it was uh, Wildcats and Stormwatch and a couple of other books, Death Blow and um, some other books that all fit in that Wildstorm universe under the Image Comics banner um, early days. DC bought the, the rights to that stuff when um, they took Jim Lee. And so now they have started this new imprint. Um, Warren Ellis is in charge of the imprint. He, he has a two-year plan, and you can see it uh, right front and center on the first issue cover that this is issue one of 24. Like, this is the beginning, and he, he clearly has it plotted out for 24 issues. Warren Ellis, John Davis Hunt, Ivan Placencia, um, Aaron, I know that you were trepid 
about uh, hopping into the wild storm, but you, you, you went and gave it a shot. What did you think? Well, first I should say that I've never been a fan of these characters or of these books. Like I was not a Wildcats fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always I was always impressed by the visuals of Stormwatch, but I just you know, it was in that that era of image where uh, it was beautiful books and just some really shitty storytelling. Uh, so I've never been a fan, mm-hmm. uh, other than perhaps of you know splash pages and whatnot. So you know, I went into this really with no precon- preconceptions because I don't know enough about the characters to to know what to expect. Um, I gotta say, I enjoyed this book. You know, I, I am I am a Warren Ellis fan. Uh, I, yeah. I generally tend to like what Warren Ellis writes. This uh, visually, what I, I was a big fan of the way the story was told. Like, for instance, you know, as a digital comics reader, and you're using the you know Comicsology guided view, that first page, first page, just sings. You know, it is a nine panel page. All of them are the same size. And so, I mean, it's just bam, 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 bam. And I thought that first page really launched the book strong. I don't know if it would, if it has that same effect in print, but I can tell you that as a digital comics reader through the Comixology app, it worked beautifully. And there's this one image on that page, you know, the, the, uh, the character has killed somebody while interrogating them, you know, in this sub basement bathroom and it's a bloody mess down there. It is just carnage. Right. And there's blood all over the room and blood on her. And they show you the guy's hand and he has eight fingers on this hand, you know, six fingers, two thumbs. And from that page on every panel I'm looking at through the book, I'm counting fingers. You know, what's funny. Hmm. I did. I, I typically don't read my comics in guided view. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you talked about the first page. So while you were talking about it, I went ahead and checked it out. Yeah, I totally didn't catch that the first time. The eight. Fingers. Oh, you didn't catch the fingers. Yeah. No, and and to your point about reading it in print, you know, some you know when you when you have a full comic page, sometimes there's a you know there's a um you don't always just read pan you don't you don't focus on each panel's art. So yeah, I totally skipped that. I totally did not see the eight fingers thing in the first panel. Yeah. Yeah, I I have to say there is there is a part of the book there is an encounter that occurs uh uh in the book on the street with uh I forget the character Angel Spica. Is Angela that, am I getting Spica. her name correct? Angela Spica. And you know, it happens with her and the guy who owns her company and I enjoyed that part. I enjoyed the the crazy woman talking to her boss's boss's boss, mm-hmm. right? Um, where I I started getting mired. I enjoyed the rescue. I enjoyed where she explodes into her super suit, uh, you know, and apparently that that's a, a painful experience for her. I thought that was super cool. There's this whole talky bit that just seems to run for the rest of the book at that point mm-hmm. uh, that I was much less interested in. I liked it. I'm in for issue two, but it, I I felt like I was getting mired in exposition, and I just wanted to see more cool stuff. Yeah. Um. So I, that that's kind of where I landed on this. Now I will ask you one thing, Fall, before I kick it back to you. Mm-hmm. There's a character in this book called Voodoo. Yes. Is that the same Voodoo that Ron Mars was was writing? Um. Yeah. Actually. Okay. I didn't realize when we were when we were reading and reviewing Voodoo back in the day. <laughs> uh, yeah. It seems like a very long time ago now. Um, I did not realize that she was a Wildstorm character. Yes. 
Yeah, she was actually a member of Wildcats at one point. A founding member of Wildcats, yeah. Yep. Interesting. Okay. So, um, all right. Talking about it, Paul. No, I totally. I, I actually Drop some wisdom on. <laughs> I actually totally agree with your your line of thinking about this book. I found the second half of the book to be very wordy, um, and and the first half of the book is wordy, but it flows. The second half yes. of the book was wordy, and it it was it was exposition heavy. But I think to a certain extent, that's a lot of world building, because I've read Warren Ellis. You know, we I, I'm a fan of Warren Ellis, and I've read Warren Ellis books that have no words in them. Um, you know, so I feel like that was him world building. So that, you know, we we don't have to, you know, spend more time dealing with uh, uncovering some of this stuff. So now we know Jacob Marlowe is over 100 years old. And now we know that, you know, we, we know about, we got a lot of information in the last half of the book. And I think that was the intent. And I hope that was the intent. Um, yeah. I enjoyed this book. I enjoyed the world building. I enjoyed the characters. I, I, I'm curious to see where the story goes. I have an odd complaint about the book, though. And it's something uh, we don't talk about very often, uh, which oh is the lettering. Really? I found the lettering I'm very not... boring. <laughs> I would um, agree with that. Like Angela Spica, well, particular... when she transform, transforms into that robot thing and she starts mm-hmm. screaming, it just seems like it just seemed like the lettering was weak there for, for something well, so emotional and big. I will say there is a independent comic feel about this book. Yes. Right. Um, and what, what makes me say that now versus uh, when, I, when, I, when I gave you my initial thoughts is that there, while the artwork is, is, is very detailed, I think it's expertly done, there doesn't seem to be a lot of over-the-top flourish that you typically see in a Marvel and DC book. You know, it feels like a book on a budget. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I think that lettering supports that. And, I, and I, that may be an intentional sort of move to have the the book feel apart, even though it is in the DC universe setting, uh, to have the book feel apart and have it have that unique feel, uh, taking it back to its independent roots. Oh, is this supposed to be in the DC universe? I thought since they, they were doing is a Wildstorm reboot, that it was going to be a separate universe again. They uh, ping on WGBS, uh, so. It, it, for me, it makes me believe that this is a uh, in in DC universe uh, story. Yeah, you could be right. I mean, it, it it's is an set imprint, in New York but... City. Yeah, it's set in New York City rather than uh, you know Gotham or Metropolis. But they they do pull elements from the DC universe into it. Good point. I hadn't noticed that. But I enjoyed the book. I'm looking forward to issue two. Um, you know, I I, I like Warren Ellis. Um, I liked the art. I, I'm I'm curious to see where the story goes. Yeah, um, I did too. I did too. You know, so this week BBC America made um, an announcement, or well, I shouldn't say they made an announcement. Deadline reported that a live-action television series based on the Spawn spin-off title Sam and Twitch is in development at BBC America, and apparently Kevin Smith is attached to write, direct, and executive produce uh, the series for BBC America. Can I ask a question? Yes, sir. What's Sam and Twitch? So, have you ever so, read Spawn? A uh, long time ago and only a handful of issues. Yeah, do you re- say, do you remember the police officers from it? <laughs> no. It's like, it's like, a, no. it's, it's like if you took Harvey Bullock, like a guy who looks like Harvey Bullock and basically this small scrawny guy who wears big Coke bottle glasses, um, that, mm-hmm. that's Sam and Twitch. And they're, gotcha. they're, they're just like, the you know, they're basically like the, the homicide investigators in the same city where Spawn is. And so it's, it's kind of like 
Uh, so it's Gotham Central for Spawn. Yeah, it's Gotham Central with a more occult spin to it, basically. Gotcha. Okay. And, and so I, I here's the thing. As a concept for a series, <laughs> Ghost of Rainsboro, um, you know, I, <laughs> I feel like it's it's got some good – it's got it's got a good idea, but I just – I don't have a lot of faith in Kevin Smith being able to carry yeah. something like that. Well, no. and because it's so – different than anything that he would have ever done and when i look at it it's like i would have been excited about this in the 90s when i was reading spawn when those were really interesting characters 2016 2017 i don't care yeah these characters have no draw for me anymore spawn is not an interest anymore i mean it i know that the book still gets printed i know it probably still has fans but its day is done (laughs) Put a fork in it. It's done. D U N. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm. You know, I, here's the thing. It, Sam and Twitch could make for a good series. Uh, I don't know that Kevin Smith is the right fit, but you know, we'll see. I mean, BBC America puts out some good content. They do. Are are, are any of you guys watching Humans? I am not, but I've heard it's good. Yes. Holy so shit! Good. That's a good show. I, I I burned through it on Amazon uh, Prime the first season and the second season just started. Uh, that is so damn good. It I, is. I, I, I can't get over how good that show is, Wayne. No, I love it's the kind of concept I already love in storytelling, and right. it's being done very well with good acting. I mean, I I yeah, just it, love the show so much. It's a near future story in which um, androids that look like human beings, so kind of Westworld-style androids, uh, are helpers in your home. So instead of, you know, uh, Amazon Alexa, you've got, you know, your Amazon Amazon Synth who's helping you out in your home. And it's the complexities that occur when you have a tool that uh, so closely resembles a human being and how we treat them. And, of course, a few of them have developed sentience. So... So I, I got to tell you, I enjoy this thing so much more than I enjoy Westworld. Similar concepts, uh, much more accessible than I think Westworld is. Yeah, and it really surprised me because I like the concept of it, so I thought I would probably enjoy it. I never expected it to be as good as it is, though. Yeah, me neither. Well, particularly, it appears to be a BBC production in cooperation with uh, AMC. And there are so, so many times where I feel like the BBC just doesn't spend enough money on production. <laughs> Doctor Who. Um, but uh, <laughs> Well, and what surprised is, me was, uh, does anyone else watch, well, has anyone else watched the IT crowd? No. Uh, not me. Okay, so it's a BBC comedy that is really funny. And the uh, the mother on this show was on there. And I didn't even recognize her because... She's playing a serious role here versus the comedic role she did over there. Hmm. Well, I, I will I will tell you that it's got HBO quality uh, production values and writing and acting. Thoroughly enjoy this show. Huh. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it, Paul. The first season's only eight eight episodes. Real easy to get caught up. First episode, uh, uh, the second season came on this week, so you could even still catch it on your DVR. All right, well, yeah. I will check it out. Yeah, worth the watch. Well, you know what came out this week that we're going to discuss if it was worth the 25 cents that it cost to purchase? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Tell me, I Paul. I think I know your opinion, Paul. Invincible number 133, which is part one of 12, the end of all things. This is the start of the final story arc. And I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to be like that guy that has the same conversation every time we talk about something on the podcast, because um, I know that gets old. But God damn it, why do I get burned every time I get into Invincible? Every time. I know this book was only you twenty five cents, but it but it was it was twenty five minutes of my life that I could have done something else. Every see, time Paul, Paul tries to love, every time he tries to love. I'm sorry, Paul. Yeah, see, Paul, I didn't hate it. It just did, nothing happened. Exactly, exactly. That's my point. You 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 know it, it, this is the this is your twenty five cent issue, the start of your final story arc. And this is not the start of the final story arc. This is basically the prelude to the final story arc because this really feels like the in-between issue before we get yep. into the final story arc. It feels like a zero issue. I mean, you know, it's basically um, some mourning, some arguing, and then a twist at the end, and then the book is over. And that's it. And it's like, no, that's not part one of 12. This is this is the part zero before you get into the final story arc is exactly how this felt. Um, you know, th this is the this is the buildup. And it just, for me, I was annoyed with this issue. Um, that It felt like nothing happened. And I'm not saying it wasn't an important issue and that the, the, the events of this issue didn't need to occur. But advertising it as your 25 cents start of the final story arc, that's where I have an issue with it. Yeah, and I, I can agree with that, Paul. I mean, like I said, it felt like a zero issue. It felt like an in-between. I didn't feel like it was the beginning of the story arc at all. I didn't have an issue with the actual issue itself. But well, I mean, I guess I, I agree with that. really happened. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm glad I didn't pay $3 for an issue where nothing happened. But, you know, when you have 25 cents... When you have a twenty-five cent book, and this is your opportunity to bring in new readers, the, the between you know, I said this a couple of weeks ago about the Walking Dead issue they put out. There was nothing here for new readers, nothing. No, um, and you're you're completely right. If this was, if this was meant to bring in new readers, it would be utterly failure because it doesn't explain a single thing. Yeah. So a new reader would have no clue what was going on. It's mired in everything that's happened the last few months. Maybe it might bring someone back that's been away from the book, but even then, everything is so tied to the last storyline that I don't even know if that would be. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, a use. Well, anyway, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it was a mediocre issue of the title, and so I, I, I I've said before, and I'm I'm sticking to it that as the last arc of the title, I've read every issue of Invincible. I'm not going to not read the last arc. Um, but it, it felt like a wasted opportunity to me. Yeah, and you know, looking back over the title, I'll say there are points when it's been one of my favorite books to read. Yeah, but those were those, early that on was in a the long series time for ago. me. Th th that was like 100 issues ago for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that was when I was reading the book consistently and excited about what was happening in the next issue. And yeah, it's been about 100 issues before mm -hmm. since this has been like the most exciting book on the rack for me. Yeah, it's one of those things where I have those fond memories of it. Yeah, but you're right. It hasn't been as good in a long time. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm speaking of exciting books. You know what I'm looking forward to next week? What's that, Paul? The Commandi Challenge issue two. Mm. So exciting. Who's also, the team for this next one? Uh, Do you know, Pete Tomasi and Neil Adams. Mm. Yes. It'll be so nice seeing Neil Adams draw something that he's not writing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, under a, a beautiful cover by Kenneth Roquefort. Um, so 
looking very forward to Commandi Challenge issue two. Also from DC Comics, we have the conclusion of that Clark Kent storyline that will hopefully <laughs> tell us who this Clark Kent finally is in pages of Action Comics number 974. Oh. It better actually conclude, and it better tell us. Otherwise, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. Okay. My money's down for Mixelplick. <laughs> I, I would be okay with that. I would – yeah, I would really like that. I don't think that will be the case, but that would be really cool. In the pages of Detective Comics, we get League of Shadows, part one. Um, you know, this is the story they were setting up with Cassandra Kane in Detective Comics number 950. This is the official start of that story arc, League of Shadows, part one. We also get Justice League of America, issue one. Um, we, we did not really love the Rebirth issue, um, but Steve Orlando and Ivan Rice are the uh, creative team on Justice League of America, featuring Lobo, Killer Frost, Black Canary, the Ray, Vixen, and the Atom um, under the tutelage of Batman. So I'm going to give issue one a shot. How about you guys? Yeah, I, I think I'm I, down I, to that. Yeah. I, do, I do plan on that, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I'll give issue one a shot. Okay. Um also coming out next week, and it kind of sounds interesting to me, so I'm going to read the description, and I know whenever I do this, it turns out it's like a suicide pact, but I'm going to read the description anyway. Um, friend of Funny Books, Mike Carey, has a new book oh, coming yeah. out next week from IDW called Darkness Visible. Um, when the demons came, humanity reluctantly learned to share the world with another sentient race. Eighty years later, this uneasy coexistence has spawned an endless terrorist conflict. Detective Daniel Aston, charged with being the thin blue line between the two sides, is tested to the limit when a demon sets up house inside his soul. But to save his daughter, he'll pay any price, including genocide. I, I really like Mike Carey. I like his novels. I like his comics. I'm down for that. Yeah, so I'm going to give you one a shot. Um, yeah. And that's from IDW next week. All right. Well, guys, Paul, Tim, Peaches... I want you guys to have a good week. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.